The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Sophie Lyonnais had dreamed of becoming a nanny and was excited when an opportunity presented itself, working for a glamorous and upscale family in England. However, the innocent young girl couldn't see the ominous horror creeping just beneath the surface. In fact, no one could. Join me now as we explore one woman's delusions the ferocity of her obsessions, and the malice of her jealousy. It's the heartbreaking case of a vulnerable young foreigner who fell prey to pure evil with an outcome too incomprehensible to imagine. On January 7th, 1996, Catherine Devalon and Patrick Lyonnais welcomed their first child into the world, a beautiful little girl they named Sophie. Almost from the moment of her arrival, Sophie had a smile on her little face, delighting her parents and family. Sophie grew up in Troyes, France, a town straight out of a fairy tale, nestled peacefully in the northeastern region of France, where delightfully timeless homes lined the narrow cobblestone streets while regal buildings and elaborate towers pierce the sky. This historic French jewel is known for its vineyards and high-quality champagne, hailing from its days as the former capital of the Champagne-Ardennes region of the country. It's in this charming city that Sophie spent her youth. Although her parents were divorced, they remained close and showered Sophie with as much love and adoration as they could provide. Her family and stepfamily built a strong, tight bond with one another, bolstering them through tough times as the family struggled with money for much of Sophie's childhood. Sophie grew into a tender-hearted girl with a silent charm about her, being described by her friends as quiet and reserved. Her mother characterized her as a kind girl who wasn't very chatty. It always felt like you had to pull the words right out of her mouth. From an early age, Sophie had always exhibited a love for children and had a natural ability to connect with them, so much so that during her school years, she decided she wanted to become an au pair when she was old enough. Once she finished high school, Sophie took childcare courses while searching for work in vain. Her lack of experience, combined with a shaky grasp of the English language, made the job search extremely difficult for her. By the time she completed her courses, she was 21 and feeling the strain of unemployment. In late 2015, one of Sophie's friends discovered an ad requesting a French-speaking nanny for two young children in Southfields, London, England. Immediately, Sophie felt attracted to the prospect of moving to another country and believed it could be a promising opportunity. The write-up 
had been posted by 35-year-old Sabrina Quidere and her longtime partner, 40-year-old Wiesa Maduni, otherwise known as Sam. Both were French nationals. Sabrina was an upcoming fashion designer, while Sam worked as a financial analyst. Together, the couple raised Sabrina's two children, two boys, ages three and six, one that was from a previous relationship with Mark Walton, celebrity founder of the Irish boy band Boyzone. With both Sabrina and Sam leading incredibly busy lives, there was little time left to care for their children, and a live-in nanny seemed to be a perfect solution. Sophie found herself intrigued by the couple's moderate celebrity status and looked at the chance not only as a dream come true in her chosen profession, but also as an opportunity to improve on her clumsy English and perhaps gain some influential references. After applying for the position, Sabrina and Sam seemed thrilled they'd managed to find someone who fit their needs perfectly. With pure excitement, Sophie eagerly accepted their offer and started preparing for her move. In January 2016, Sophie made the trip from France to Southfields, London, a district located on the southeastern edge of the country. After being welcomed into the family's enormous flat, Sophie immediately threw herself into her work, joining the family wherever they went. The neighboring area was full of nannies accompanying children, who could often be seen clustered together in small groups outside of cafes and restaurants. But Sophie wasn't a part of any of these groups. Michael Croner, an owner of one of the small restaurants, would often see Sophie with the family, as did many of their neighbors. Most people assumed Sophie was a visiting family member. Many never suspected Sophie was actually their hired nanny. Michael, the local restaurant owner, had grown familiar with seeing the same usual faces every day and had come to know almost every visitor. He remarked how polite, glamorous, and soft-spoken Sabrina always seemed to be. He also became conscious of how closely Sophie stuck to the family. There only seemed to be one person outside of the family that Sophie opened up to, and that was Sabrina's friend, Yolanta. Yolanta had dreamed of learning to speak French and befriended Sophie, who began showing her the ropes of the complex language. During one of their exchanges, Sophie confided she planned to return back home to France in the fall to take courses in film. When summer rolled around to Southfields, Sophie had been living with the family for 18 months and her contract was due to expire in a short time. Life had been quiet with Sophie and the family, and there appeared to be no issues. But something had started to shift, and the community had quietly taken notice of it. Yolanta was one such person who'd become concerned, having been privy to more intimate knowledge of what was happening behind the scenes. Sophie privately confided in her that Sabrina hadn't been paying her wages. That's when Yolanta offered Sophie part-time work, which Sophie appeared interested in. After their encounter, Yolanta never heard from Sophie again. Concerned for her new friend, Yolanta went to the flat and knocked on the door. When Sam answered, Yolanta asked if Sabrina was home, which he replied she wasn't. She demanded to know why Sam was lying to her. She knew Sabrina was home. She could hear her talking in the background. 
but Sam insisted for a second time she wasn't and asked her to leave, shutting the door in her face. Yolanta was worried and began to wonder if Sabrina was controlling Sophie, and she wasn't the only one. Michael, the restaurant owner, also noticed something was off. Whenever Sophie came in and he'd offer her food, she would only eat a small portion of chips, which she ate so fast it appeared she either wasn't being fed or needed to rush back to work. Michael also noticed Sophie had started to look unkept. Her clothes were wrinkled, and her hair looked like it hadn't been brushed. On one visit to the restaurant, she talked about her mother in France and how she wasn't doing well and wanted to go back. He offered to buy her a plane ticket and said she could pay him back once she got paid, but she didn't accept. Sophie's mother, Catherine, made up the only other exclusive member of the incredibly private group of witnesses receiving texts and Facebook messages from Sophie. She appeared to be extremely unhappy and wanted to return home, begging her mother for money. Shortly after depositing the money in Sophie's account, Catherine received two calls from Sabrina, one after the other. During the calls, Sabrina told Sophie's mother she was keeping her daughter because there was disagreements and problems she wanted to sort out. Catherine begged Sabrina to let her daughter come home, but Sabrina refused and hung up. Sophie's mom suddenly felt a bleak fear wash all over her as she realized what little power she had in the situation. For the precious few in Sophie's life, the circumstance was growing more confusing and worrisome. Once again, Michael was privy to Sophie crying in his restaurant. Troubled to see her so upset, he asked her what was wrong, and for the first time, he got a concrete answer. Sophie finally admitted Sabrina had been beating her. In disbelief, Michael asked why. She replied, the butter fell off and Sabrina beat me. Michael was now justifiably alarmed by her admission and his thoughts crawled uncomfortably into musings of what could possibly be happening at the family home. A few days later, while Michael was setting up his storefront, he was suddenly startled by Sabrina, who had stormed in, dragging a terrified Sophie behind her as she screamed in his face. Refusing to let Sophie speak, she raved mostly in French, which Michael couldn't understand. He could only watch as Sophie seemed to shrink in on herself, cowering in terror at Sabrina's nightmarish display of anger and rage. Gone was the pleasant, soft-spoken woman he'd previously known. In her place was a violent, shrill, and hysterical person who seemed to have taken over. Michael would later admit, with quiet shame, that he left them there and walked away to open his shop. Sabrina eventually stomped off with Sophie, pulling her away as forcefully as she had hauled her into the shop. But even in his wildest nightmares, Michael could have never imagined what was about to happen. And just like that, Sophie stopped showing up at the restaurant completely. She no longer appeared in the streets with the children and her old responsibilities were now being handled by Sam and Sabrina. Sophie was nowhere to be seen. When a few neighbors inquired about her whereabouts, Sabrina was quick to answer, 
listing off nearly a dozen serious crimes Sophie had apparently been committing while under their roof, including theft and involvement in a sexually exploited relationship with her ex, Mark Walton. She spoke angrily and almost violently, further confusing the neighbors, many of whom had never seen her act like this. Several people who had met Sophie found this story incredulous as they struggled to wrap their heads around such a delicate, timid girl committing such vile acts. But as baffled as the neighbors were, no one was prepared for the sheer horror of what was about to unfold. In the early hours of September 20th, 2017, neighbors reported an enormous billow of thick black smoke rising into the air from the backyard of a flat in Southfields. The smoke curled high into the sky and could be seen in all directions. The smell was nauseating. Residents reviled in disgust at the pungent odor of smoke and called firefighters to come and investigate. When they arrived, they found Sam in the backyard, hovering over a barbecue and grilling chicken. Behind Sam was a smoldering bonfire. Sabrina was absent, off taking the children to an after-school program. Firefighters immediately confronted Sam on the bonfire and the terrible smell. Nonchalantly, Sam glanced at the fire and told them he was burning the carcass of a sheep he'd recently butchered. As the fire was extinguished and the men sorted through the ashes, they made an ominous discovery. On one side of the wreckage, they discovered a pair of glasses, partially melted and turned black from the heat. Sifting further into the rubble, a ghastly find was uncovered when they found what was clearly human remains. The remains were identified as Sophie Leonay, and Sam was arrested on the spot. A short time later, Sabrina was also held under suspicion of murder. As the couple were led away, a neighbor described Sabrina as looking indignant and inconvenienced by her arrest. As the truth of what they had done gradually came to light, neighbors expressed outrage at the complete lack of guilt. When Sam and Sabrina were interrogated, they continued to deny their involvement in Sophie's death. Sabrina was especially vehement in her insistence of no wrongdoing. She placed all blame squarely on Sam for the au pair's violent murder, claiming to be totally oblivious to the girl's death, and even went one step further by painting an image of her in the utmost disgraceful ways. In her opinion, not only was Sophie lazy, she was a thief who in fact ignored her children and even threatened them. Sabrina also accused Sophie of having an affair with her ex, Mark Walton. She implied Sophie had arranged to take Mark's biological child to see him against Sabrina's consent and then participated in illicit sexual acts with the man, which may or may not have involved the child. She also claimed that during that night, Sam had grown so furious with what Sophie had done that on the night of September 19th, he beat Sophie until she fell back and died on the bathroom tiles. 
According to Sabrina, it all happened when she and the children slept. Sam's confession was similar, but he blamed it on Sabrina. He said he was the one asleep while Sabrina interrogated Sophie. In an attempt to back up her confession, Sabrina produced an apparent handwritten confession from Sophie. In the letter, she admits to having been seduced by Mark Walton, as well as plotting to harm the family at his request. After being compared with other handwriting samples of Sophie's, it was confirmed the letter had been written by her. Sophie's family didn't buy a word of the so-called confession letter and called Sabrina a liar. Catherine's voice shook as she spoke, insisting, That is not my daughter. My daughter would not hurt anyone, not even a fly. Police were also skeptical of Sabrina's story. Something just wasn't adding up. When they interviewed friends and neighbors of the family, they all confirmed the complete opposite of Sabrina's story. Bystanders had witnessed Sophie's care, attentive nature, and responsibility towards the children. When Michael Croner was questioned, he too confirmed what he'd always seen, how closely the kids stuck to Sophie and appeared to care so much for her. Joe Alvarez, a photographer for the family, described an instance where one of the children began crying and Sophie immediately rushed to the child's side to comfort them. A close neighbor and friend of Sophie's came forward during the investigation with more disturbing proof of Sabrina's fabrication. She revealed how Sophie was not only a hard worker, but also a heavily exploited one. She spoke of nearly 80-hour work weeks Sophie was tasked with. Sophie was also made to get up early and work on Sundays, which were supposed to be her days off. As the story came out and Sophie's work ethic was not only proven, but elaborated on, the au pair began to resemble a slave, then a nanny. Not only had she been forbidden days off, Sophie was banned from going out, and she was even prohibited from calling her mother. The only way she could make calls was if she used outside phones. Sabrina's fabricated web was unraveling before her eyes as the proof began to tumble free from the testimonials of the community. Mark Walton, the alleged lover behind Sophie's actions, was eventually also interviewed by police. An international celebrity and former flame of Sabrina's, Mark had experienced a brief and highly turbulent relationship with the woman. He and Sabrina had hit it off with a passionate romance that eventually led to the birth of one of Sabrina's children. But it didn't take long for Mark to witness just how erratic Sabrina could be, throwing vicious fits over the most trivial of subjects. And the setting? It didn't matter. They could be out in broad daylight, surrounded by people, and if something set Sabrina off, she would violently lose her temper. They finally broke it off in 2014, but the split was far from mutual. Sabrina took it extremely difficult and began tormenting Mark and his family. In late 2016, when his financial support came to an end, Sabrina became even more unhinged. That's when she reported Mark to police for fraudulent harassment charges. But it didn't stop there. Next, she created a Facebook page, accusing him of pedophilia. 
After being questioned about Sabrina's claims of a sexual relationship between him and Sophie, Mark denied ever having met the au pair. He backed up his claims by providing his phones, passports, and anything that might possibly be used as evidence. He claimed the first he'd ever heard of Sophie was when police contacted him regarding her murder in September. His proof all came back as legitimate. Sabrina's carefully woven, yet impossibly complex fabrication had completely fallen apart. Six months after their arrest, Sabrina and Sam were placed on trial for the murder of Sophie Leonay. As the case began, the courtroom filled with people, including Sophie's distraught family. It was the first time Catherine had laid eyes on Sophie's former employers. Sabrina and Sam both pled guilty to perversion of justice by burning Sophie's body, but they denied the murder charge, both placing full blame on each other. By burning Sophie's body, the precise cause of death was effectively erased. However, evidence uncovered from the phones belonging to the couple would reveal everything the young woman had endured leading up to her death. Among the evidence uncovered, one of the most haunting was a photo taken just two days before Sophie died. It showed her sitting rigid in a chair with a long sleeve blouse covering a wiry thin frame and gaunt hands folded over a knitted sweater in her lap. More evidence was revealed to shocked onlookers as the case proceeded and the world learned what atrocities were committed in the two months leading up to the au pair's horrible last moments. The court learned in mid-July Sabrina had begun locking Sophie inside the house, confining her to a tiny dark room to sleep in. Her phone, passport, cards, and other belongings were all confiscated. Not only was she forbidden from contacting her mother, Sophie was also denied food, leading to her emaciated appearance in the photograph. For several months during 2017, Sometime after Mark had stopped sending her money, Sabrina grew angrier and more obsessed about her ex, but had nothing to vent her frustrations and fury on. That is, except for Sophie. That's when she began to take out all her hatred and anger towards Mark on the defenseless, terrified nanny. Sabrina and Sam began subjecting Sophie to horrifying interrogations which they proceeded to record on their phones. Sabrina had somehow come to the conclusion that Sophie had been sent to apply to their ad by Mark in an elaborate scheme to spy on them. She demanded that Sophie confess to sleeping with Mark, as well as to her plans to hurt Sam or the children. She yelled at her, You will not go back to France until you've told me the truth. I'm going to spoil your life, as you have spoiled mine. Sabrina then called her worse than a murderer. As she and Sam restrained Sophie in a bathtub while they tortured her for the desired information, at one point she was beaten with electrical cables, which broke several of her ribs and her breastbone. A broken jaw was also discovered amongst her remains, which must have occurred when Sam punched her in the face, which he later admitted 
during his interrogation. The recordings were so vicious that Sophie's mother eventually broke down and had to leave the courtroom. The recordings capped off in one final repugnant show with a short video of a broken and despondent Sophie shakily confessing to all the crimes Sabrina had accused her of. To everyone who heard it, the reasoning behind this out-of-character revelation was grimly clear. Sophie was pleading for her life, giving in to Sabrina's twisted imagination and becoming the character the woman had created in her mind. In a last-ditch effort to preserve her life, Sophie submitted to the fabricated role of a villain. Only a few hours later, Sophie Lyonnais had her life cruelly stolen from her. Sabrina and Sam continued to deny all allegations, but the prosecution produced a crucial witness, a third party within the home. The witness was kept unrevealed for legal reasons, but they confirmed the presence of Sabrina and Sam both in the bathroom with Sophie, yelling at her to breathe. Sabrina addressed the jury, still trying to maintain her defense, claiming that her personality disorder and depression were responsible for the delusions, which made her believe the complex fantasy she killed Sophie over. Before leaving the stand, Sabrina made one last attempt to gain some sympathy from the jury by reading a letter she'd written. Dear Sophie, may peace be with you. First of all, I wish everyone, including Sophie, especially her parents and family, who are suffering badly, to know how deeply sorry I am for what happened to Sophie. We shared many good times together, as well as pains until things were terribly wrong, and it ended up in this horrendous tragedy. I think of you every day, and I'm shocked and sad that you are not part of this world anymore. It feels like a horrible dream to me that I wish I could just wake up from. Every day, I live with sadness and sorrow. I am suffering every day thinking of you and what happened to you. I only wish I could turn the clock back so that it never happened and you would still be alive with us today. I will now live without hope and I can't ever imagine ever being happy again. I struggle every day and I am very disappointed in myself. Sophie, I wish things could have been different, and I hope that you rest in peace with God. Sabrina Coudier. After leaving the stand, the judge addressed Sabrina by stating he didn't believe for a moment she had all considered her actions lawful. Judge Hillard stressed that he fully believed she understood the weight of her actions in interrogating Sophie, torturing her in the bathtub, and ultimately, ending her life, stressing a disbelief that those actions hadn't stemmed from an irrational fear of her own making. After murdering Sophie, the couple placed her body in a suitcase and burned it in their backyard. This evidence, coupled with the recordings and the fact police hadn't been alerted to Sophie's death immediately, made it impossible for Sam and Sabrina's defense to carry any weight. The judge called the case a rare type of psychosis called folia duh, 
meaning the madness of two. This is where the delusion of one is passed near seamlessly into the mind of another. After 43 days of the ongoing trial, the jury retired to deliberate on the evidence. 30 hours passed before they returned with their verdict. Sam and Sabrina were found guilty of murder. The frail, worn voice of Sophie's despairing mother whimpered in the courtroom as she heard the verdict, crying from both relief and agony. On June 26, 2018, Sabrina and Sam were sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of no less than 30 years. Catherine addressed the couple and said, Our Sophie will soon be laid to rest. No God will ever forgive you both for what you've done to our daughter. The family expressed tremendous relief at the outcome of the case, but this would be short-lived as Sam and Sabrina filed for an appeal, claiming their sentences were too long. Their appeal bids were rejected. Sophie's mother, Catherine, has been broken since the day police arrived on her doorstep with the terrible news. Sophie's father, Patrick, expressed, It's the worst thing that could happen to me. In my head, I still hold on to the memory of her before she left. It has turned my life upside down. Many people will forever question why Sophie didn't leave, but no one will ever fully know just how deep the psychological abuse went and how trapped Sophie had felt in those last weeks. For the people of Southfields, there's a lingering sense of guilt and sorrow. Regrets come silently, always reminding that something more could have been done. On June 6th, 2018, Sophie's remains were returned to her peaceful home in France and was laid to rest. Catherine wants Sophie's death to serve a grander purpose as a warning to other young nannies seeking out work abroad. She encourages parents to accompany the young women and do whatever it takes to bring them home safely. Sophie's family will forever keep her in their hearts as they look out over the peaceful, grassy fields of Troyes, where Sophie spent her happy childhood. On the wind is where those who cherished her can still hear the sound of her gentle laughter. I would like to give a special thank you to Haley Lopez for voicing the letter written by Sabrina. I would also like to thank the following new Patreon supporters. Renee, Amanda A., Becky, Robert S., Abby G., Alicia B., Jean Lee, Crystal S., and Stacy M. And now I would like to introduce the podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. Some of us love American history, no matter what. Some of us used to, but that love got pounded out of us with bad experiences in school. History became a rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out. And for some of us, that made history kind of suck. 
Hi, my name is Greg Jackson, and as a university professor with a PhD in history, making history come to life for others has become my passion in life's work. It's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do it through stories. Whether we're talking about battles, writing the Constitution, industrialization, social movements, or even tax policy, there are real people who live through these events, and their stories make the mundane come to life. Let me tell you what it was like for George Washington to beg his men in tears not to mutiny against Congress. For Elizabeth Cady Stanton to struggle for her father's approval, then fight for women's rights. Or for enslaved teenage Frederick Douglass to fight back during a beating, then go on to fight the whole system of slavery. Please join me on this journey through U.S. history. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck and join me every other Monday for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story. Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G-E